And this week, we're going to get into disabilities and more specifically how to treat people with disabilities. So as I mentioned last week, this month is Dwarfism Awareness Month. And when Mark and I first started discussing this topic, we wondered about being politically correct because sometimes people, they prefer to call it differently abled. And so I came to the conclusion, I think Mark agrees, that really intent matters. And right. so- I think how we got into this was some people prefer little people yes. as a designation. Mm-hmm. So one of the problems, I think, as we talk about political correctness, is that it, it seems to me that terms that we're supposed to use or mm-hmm. that people expect people to use are changing all the time. Yes. And I think that's correct. They often change. And so, you know, with the LGBTQT community, and I think I'm leaving some letters out, I can't keep up with it. And it right. doesn't mean that I don't have respect or that I don't treat those people. It's just to try and keep up with all of the designations is a bit time consuming. Yeah. So when you talk about intent, I think that I've run into two groups of people. And one is there are clearly people out there who intend to be rude and disrespectful. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's nothing I think anybody can do about those people. But it's clearly that's what they want to do. And we're not excusing those people at all. Right. But then there are people, and I think I fall into this category, who I want to be respectful. But often it's hard to know what term a particular person wants when there mm-hmm. are multiple terms that could apply. And so I think... The important thing is if you run into someone and you might use an inaccurate term, hopefully that person can gently say, well, I prefer this. And, you know, then you can accommodate them. But I think it's unreasonable to expect everybody to know whatever the correct terms are in the moment. At least that's the way I feel. And I tend to agree with that. Our intent here is to bring awareness and to elicit compassion. So, you know, that is very, very much our intent. and so. We don't want to say or do anything to offend people. That's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. And so I think, again, it comes down to, I believe in giving people grace. Yes. And I, I, yeah, I agree with that. But I think it's also about behavior. I think that yes. we get too hung up on terms. Yes. When really we ought to be focusing on behavior and how yeah. we treat each other or how we treat those who are differently abled. Yeah, right. And my goal in life is just to be kind and respectful towards people in general. I mean, when I meet someone for the first time, I try to smile, I try to be kind, I try to be polite. And that's how I genuinely live my life. So I hope nobody walks away from today's episode feeling offended, because it's not our intent. Right. And I want to acknowledge again, I've certainly run into people who are not kind, and they Mm -hmm. want to create, you know, controversy and by using the wrong terms. That's not us, though. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Okay. So the main theme of today's episode is going to be kindness, empathy, and respect. That's going to be kind of our episode in a nutshell, because I think that's how everybody wants to be treated, is with that kindness, empathy, and respect. And we're going to be able to kind of apply this to a overall broader theme beyond disabilities, and that's treating people who look, act, or speak differently than you. So, you know, 
foreign people is a really good example or someone who is culturally different, someone Mm -hmm. who is dressed completely different than what you might be used to. I mean, I think it's best just to, if you don't know something, ask, ask a question, ask them about it and just be polite. And I think that's going to get you a long way in life. So let's talk about how to react when you see someone who has an obvious physical disability. What do you do? Yeah. So, you know, as a general rule, I think that one of the things that happens is when we encounter someone who is different in any of the ways that you just, you know, went through, I think there's a, there could be an element of fear Mm -hmm. because, you know, in past episodes, we've talked about how we create, it's kind of this natural way we create the us and the them. And I think evolutionarily speaking, there's this predisposition to be afraid of those who are different than we Mm -hmm. are. Yeah. And so I think you have to really be aware of that, that often you see someone like, let's take a a mental health issue. And there are certainly, say, homeless people who are walking down the street. Some of them are often, they're talking to themselves or, you know, waving their arms about. Mm -hmm. And so they appear when they're different. We don't know what their behavior is, but often they're generally just, you know, people who are trying to make it in life and they, you know, may have some mental health issues, but there's no reason for us to be afraid of them. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's fear that we have to overcome more than anything before we can then be kind and sympathetic and respectful to them. And so that's going to be, I think, an initial response for many people upon encountering someone who's different is that fear. Yeah. So I remember this specific interaction I had with a Down syndrome kid, and I had never had much interaction with kids who had Down syndrome. So I was preparing for this. It was a dance festival, and it was through my church and a big group of kids, teenagers. We were getting together, and we were all learning a specific dance. And this Down syndrome boy was participating. And so I was partnered with him at one point, and he kept looking right at my chest. And it made me really uncomfortable. And I was like, okay, what is going on? And so I went to my friend who knew him and I was like, okay, that was really weird. And I was uncomfortable. And she said, no, it's your shirt. And that day we had decided to wear these bright, vibrant, obviously just neon colors. Uh Like we made an effort. It was a thing. And she's like, it's your shirt. He's drawn to the color on your shirt. I said, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. But I mean, again, I didn't know. And it was that fear. And that was just that discomfort. And so I really think ask questions is really the biggest thing that you can do. Right. And so we let's let's see some of the things you listed, specific disabilities, someone in wheelchairs, someone who is hearing impaired, dwarfism, autism, Down syndrome. One of the things one of the things I was grateful for in my training is I spent time, uh, there's a clinic in Salt Lake. I can't even remember what it's called because it's changed. Uh, like now it's called the Autism Center for Learning. Okay. Anyway, I spent six months with in the autistic classroom. Okay. And, you know, once once you get used to the children, mm-hmm. then, you know, you aren't afraid anymore. The other thing I was doing research, I think this is back as an undergrad, I was doing research with Tourette syndrome. And okay. so syndrome there, you know, mostly it's about ticks, but one of those vocal ticks can be shouting obscenities, although that's not that common uh, for people. But so we were working with kids who had Tourette syndrome 
And so you get used to how these people behave in a different way. And it's not frightening. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what we have to keep in mind. It's not threatening. It's just different. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say, I remember uh, having an experience as far as uh, in wheelchair. And so about seven years ago, I had a major back operation. I was out of the office for four months while I was recovering. But prior to that, for about three to four months, I couldn't walk very well. And so I was in a wheelchair and using a walker. So Lindy and I, you know, we'd go out to dinner and I'd, she'd, we'd have this wheelchair and I'd get in the wheelchair. So we went to a restaurant in downtown the Oasis, I remember, and that's the one that we go to. And we ran into this couple who we hadn't seen in a while, but we'd been friends with because our children went to the same school. And so here I am in a wheelchair. They'd never seen me in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. They, we certainly knew each other. I'd been at their house. I think they'd been at our house. They would not look at me or talk to me. So they interacted with Lindy. I'm sitting right there. Hmm. I'm looking up at them. And I knew these people and they wouldn't look at me or talk to me. Because one, I guess it was different. They didn't expect it. And they didn't know how to react. Mm -hmm. When you could really say, you know, be honest and say, well, I haven't seen you in a wheelchair before, which was true for them, which would then I'd be able to say, well, here's what's going on. But otherwise, it's like I felt invisible. Yeah. And so I wonder if a lot of these people that we run into who are differently abled often feel invisible because we try and ignore them because we don't know how to interact with them. And I understand that perspective, too, that I don't know how to interact. And honestly, from everything I've heard, you just ask a question. And that's what your friends could have easily done. In fact, that's what I probably would have done. Oh, my goodness. What happened? You're in a wheelchair. I mean, you weren't I the was, last time I saw I, you, so I what happened? Really <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can still remember it because it was so shocking yeah. that, that they ignored me. So it, g- it gave me a good idea of what a lot of people go through on a regular basis yeah. of feeling invisible. And I think people don't want to feel invisible. Of course, we don't want to feel invisible. Yeah, um, It's kind of an obvious statement to make. And mm-hmm. so when we go back to how do we treat people who are different than us with kindness, empathy, and respect, I think inherent in those three things are not ignoring them, yeah, but acknowledging, talking to them in any way that seems appropriate. If there's a caregiver, often there's a caregiver, you can start the conversation with, you know, the caregiver and for instance if there's no language ability sometimes there is no language ability mm-hmm. i think it's more just being comfortable being around people who are different and not being afraid yeah so i think a good example of this is most people i think know that if you're interacting with someone who is hearing impaired and Sometimes they can read lips and they can speak. Sometimes they don't and they don't want to. Sometimes they rely on an interpreter. And so I think mm-hmm. most people by now know that if you are talking to someone who is hearing impaired, when you're talking to them, you look at them, not the interpreter. Right. So, right. you know, but but that's a good example of if you don't know, you don't know. Right. And so it can be a little bit of a learning curve. But I mean, again, hopefully you only make that mistake once and then you know. So another good point is I was talking to a friend who was the one that informed me that October is Little People Awareness Month and her son has dwarfism. Mm -hmm. And so she said Little People Awareness Month. And then I asked her, I was like, so what's the correct way 
what's the correct way to say it? Is it little people or is it dwarfism? And she said, it's both. Like it's either. And a lot of it comes down to preference. But dwarfism is a medical term. But if you look at someone and just say, you know, and just call them a dwarf, they're probably going to be offended. And again, I think it really comes down to intent. Right. Well, yeah, I think that it's the way you approach someone because you don't you don't necessarily say, oh, I see you're a little person. I mean, yeah, to do that. No. I think what you want to do is treat them in every way that I hate the term normal, but uh, treat them as if that disability is not a disability. Is that? I think it does. So, because if you, and, and this is what my friend said to me, she said, if you ask him, he would say he's not disabled, Mm -hmm. but he does need accommodation. And so I think that's important to remember is, and it's the same thing with people who are deaf or who are hearing impaired. They don't think of themselves as disabled because it's all they've ever known their whole lives. And so that's why they like to call themselves sometimes differently abled. Differently abled, yeah. Yeah, it's because they don't see it that way, but we can't ignore the fact that they do need an accommodation. For example, if you are deaf and you need an interpreter, right? And now that's not saying that we shouldn't give those accommodations because absolutely always 100% accommodations should be given. And I think for the most part, we do a pretty good job of that where we can. I mean, of course, there's always room for improvement. And I'm sure there are people who have run into problems with being disabled and not getting the accommodations that they need. But as as a society as a whole or in general, I think we at least try to do that. Well, yeah, the ADA um, certainly is one way that society has tried. And, you know, I think that's a good thing to yeah. at least make those physical accommodations. But in most businesses, I think, you know, try to comply as best they can. Yeah. And so I really think it's just about the dialogue and how you approach someone and how you treat them. Because most people, they don't want to be treated differently because they look different. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think you just try to treat them like you would everybody else. And so the empathy piece you know, is, which we've talked about empathy, maybe in every episode we've done, because it's one of the common themes. I think it's one of the things that is missing mm-hmm. in our culture as a whole. Yeah. But the empathy is, is you know, trying to put yourself in the emotional place of the other person, which I think is really important. And so, you know, in any of these different abilities that we've talked about, so for instance, mental health issues, Yes. which is the one I'm certainly most familiar with. I think that it's really important to have empathy mm-hmm. for what the person is going through and, you know, perhaps even what their life experience has been and, you know, how hard it might be for them to be able to get along in, in society. Mm-hmm. And so if we can be the one person who treats them kindly, who doesn't ignore them, who actually sees them, then that can really feel validating because they are people who have feelings just like any other. I think you mentioned in our outline that for them often, well, you mentioned the person, the little person who said, who didn't feel like he was differently able. Well, he didn't feel disabled. He was probably mm-hmm. different, but this is the way, you know, some of these people have been all their lives. Yeah. And so for them, this is what life is. 
and they certainly know they're different and they certainly know they may need accommodations and they certainly are treated differently by society, which is sad. And sometimes that's not a good thing. Sometimes right. well yes. by people. And, and I really think it's out of fear mostly. Yeah, I think so. And so I believe that the best remedy for that is to start with our own kids. You know, I think it's important for our kids to see us reacting with people who may look or act different. And this obviously goes towards the realm of disabilities, but it goes into the realm of anybody who looks and acts or speaks differently than us. Teach them not to be afraid and teach them it's okay to be different. I really agree with that. And here's the way I present it to couples. See, often with couples, what's missing in the relationship is empathy. And some people say, well, how do you make a difference in the world? And I think for me, it's you can try and make a difference, say, on a global level, which I think is really, really hard to do. Yes. But you can try and make a difference on, say, a local level. Mm -hmm. And so the way I see couples work is if I teach them how to have empathy for each other. Yep. Then they can then have their children and they can teach their children how to have empathy mm-hmm. for others. And in that way, that's how you spread it. So I really believe that being direct with your children about those who are differently abled, mm-hmm. who may, all the things that you listed, who may speak differently, look differently, that if we teach them not to be afraid and how to react and how to have empathy, that is a really important thing because then we build a generation of people who are going to behave differently than say we did or our, you know say our parents did when there wasn't a lot of awareness you know if you look back to our parents generation there wasn't a lot of awareness for people who were different right well and there certainly wasn't as much awareness about mental illness as there is mm-hmm. today and thankfully we're getting better about mental illness and accepting that mental illness is a disability, just like anything else. It's a medical condition. And, you know, we're getting better at treating it that way. I mean, I see memes all the time. If someone breaks their leg, you wouldn't tell them to just walk it off, right? right? You wouldn't, (laughs) right? Or if someone's in pain, genuinely, yeah, suck it up. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, your leg's broken. Walk it off. So big deal. No, I mean, you go to a doctor and you get medical help. It is the exact same thing with a mental illness. If you are severely depressed or if you're severely anxious, you seek help. And it deserves the exact same compassion and accommodation as someone with a broken leg does. And we are getting better about that, about real recognizing the importance of just having a mental health day. Those matter. Those are important. And I'm all about that. I mean, with my kids even, you know, we just need a day to not do school, just a random Mm -hmm. day to stay home and not do anything. Mm -hmm. Those are good. So I like where we're going as a society, but there's always more work to do. And so, again, I think it really just comes down to we got to start with our own kids, just teach them not to be afraid, really. It's okay that someone looks different. It's okay that someone acts different. Right. And so the the way you're going to do that, mostly is you can certainly talk about it, but it's to be out and for you to show by example mm-hmm. how you interact with yes. people who might be different. That yep. we don't turn and walk away from someone who's different, mm-hmm. but you know, you approach them as you would anyone else. And if, you know, there's a 
if the context is that you're going to have a greeting, then you greet them just as you would anywhere in one else. Mm-hmm. And so you treat them as much as you can, like you do other people. Yeah. And one thing that I do with my kids that I think is it's at least a step in the direction that we want to go is with religion. And again, I realize that comparing religion with disabilities is is different because my religion is a choice. But I teach my kid it's that they're going to meet people who think and believe differently than we, they do, particularly about religion. And I teach them that it's okay that someone believes differently than we do. You can talk about it. You can learn from them and you can listen to what they have to say about their religion. And that's a good thing to do. Right. And so it's true. Religion is different, but I think the concept is very much the same. Yes. That the overall concept of it is okay to be different. Yeah. And we are respectful and kind to people who are different than we are. And so, yeah, it's really the same process that you're teaching. One is chosen, you know, religion, and the other, you know, being uh, differently abled is not. Mm -hmm. And one thing, too, is that I teach my kids is it's never okay to make somebody feel guilty or to feel bad because they make different choices than you. So my kids have grown up knowing our religious standards and they know our values, but we make sure to tell them not everyone holds to those same values and it's never okay to make them feel guilty or to make them feel like they are less of a person or to make them feel like they're unaccepted because they make different choices than you do. And that same thing applies for people with disability. Don't ever belittle them or make them feel like they can't do something or may or talk down to them because they're different than you. The same concept applies. Right. And I think that, you know, with kids in school, you know, either elementary, middle school or high school, kids for some reason can be pretty cruel. Yes. And so Mm -hmm. I think as we teach our children to not make fun of others. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that could be religion. It could be the color of their skin. It could be, you know, the accent in their language or it could be, you know, they're in a wheelchair or they walk with crutches or something like that that you don't make fun of people who are different than you. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important place that I think parents can have a really big impact on, you know, shutting that type of behavior down pretty quickly. Yes. Yes. And I, cause I want to acknowledge that sometimes kids, like you said, they can just be cruel and sometimes kids will do something that is unkind Mm-hmm. And don't feel like you're a bad parent because your child did or said something because kids have a very, very underdeveloped prefrontal cortex and they yeah. are very poor at impulse yeah. control. And often, oftentimes they just make poor choices. And that is the time to correct it. You just say, hey, it's a learning experience. Yes. Learning yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't make you a bad parent. No. It makes you the parent of a tiny human, which... <laughs> yes. Who has impulse controls. Yeah. I think parents need to take a more active role in teaching their children how to be kind to others, no matter what the difference is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I believe kindness in life or trying to be genuinely kind is going to take you farther in the end. And that old saying, you know, nice guys finish last. Well, I would rather be in last place than be first and unkind. Right. 
Yeah, and I think I've mentioned this before because it, this kind of ties in. John Gottman, who does the marriage research, had done, he, he has a program called The Heart of Parenting and it's about emotion coaching. Mm-hmm. But in his research, what he found was that the success of a child is more uh, tightly linked to their emotional intelligence than it is to their ACT scores or how well they do in school. And so when you think about it, it makes so much sense because no matter where you are, what you're doing or how you're going to be successful in the end, you, you know, yeah, you may have to have some skills, but really it comes down to what type of people skills do you have? Mm -hmm. How do you connect and relate to other people? That's what he found made made the real difference in a child's success. And that is up to us. I really believe that is up to us. Oh, yeah to teach our children those skills. And that can sometimes involve labeling fear when it comes Mm -hmm. to people who look and act differently. Help them recognize that their initial reaction is fear and they don't have to be afraid. Say, you know, you're looking at this person, they look different. That's making you nervous or uncomfortable because you don't understand. How you're gonna get past that is you're gonna go interact with them. And then you're gonna learn that it's not scary, it's just different. And that's okay. And what Gottman found in his emotion coaching is the labeling of emotions is really critical. Yeah. That is how indeed you teach empathy is Mm -hmm. to be able to label the emotion for them because otherwise they don't learn it. I think that must be the entire premise of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Oh, I loved it. You know, know, (laughs) one of the sad things with my grandchildren getting older is we don't watch Daniel Tiger anymore. I love Daniel. I love Daniel Tiger. Right. <laughs> I mean, Daniel Tiger is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, because I, it's... I used to sing the potty song all the time. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> I don't oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we did too for a long time in our household. And right. we probably will again because yeah. we've got a three-year-old. But yeah, I mean... Also, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was that's... built on the same premise. Okay. And for instance, he did things that for the time were really different. For instance, mm-hmm. he had a black person on and he uh, was the mailman. And at the time, you know, there was very little contact between blacks and whites. And he even, what they did is the mailman was out delivering mail and he had a pail of water that to soak their feet. And they each took off their shoes and socks and put their feet in the same pail, which mm-hmm. in the same bucket of water for the time was really uh, not done. And yeah. so that was part of his Uh, Mr. Rogers deal was the acceptance of people who are different. Yeah. And it starts young. And I think, again, it starts with that labeling, that emotion. You don't, you don't understand, or this person makes you feel nervous. This person makes you feel uncomfortable because they're acting different. You know, Mm -hmm. most people don't act this way. Okay. Well, let's go talk to them. Let's find out why. Yeah. Why, what makes them act this way or what's different about them? Again, it's that fear of the unknown. And so how do you get rid of that fear? You make it no. You approach it. Yeah. 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 You get closer to it. Further away you stay from fear, the bigger it gets. And Mm -hmm. so I really like, you know, what you've said about labeling the fear, because otherwise the child knows there's something different and they're feeling something. But if you can then talk to them about whatever the emotional responses are having, that's when you can under that's when you help them to understand it. And that is the start of empathy is to be aware of your own emotional state because then you can imagine 
another person's emotional state. You can't do that. You can't have empathy unless you're aware of your own emotional state. Yes. It's a really good point, Liz. Yes. And teaching kids emotional intelligence is labeling your own emotions as well. It all ties in, right? And so I think it's very important for kids to hear, I feel this right now. And so this is why I'm acting this way. And yeah. then you can caveat that with now that doesn't make my behavior necessarily okay. I mean, I guess, and I'm thinking in terms of like, I get angry and I snapped, right? And I yelled yeah. at my kids. You say, you know, I'm sorry. I was angry and I made a poor choice. Yeah. Yeah. It you know, your own emotional state. I agree. Yeah. Or I think it's okay to tell kids, I feel overwhelmed right now. I feel stressed and I need space to myself. I need you to let me be in this room for myself for two seconds to gather myself. It's important to tell kids that, to tell kids how you feel because it teaches them emotional intelligence. Yeah. I think, you know, as we kind of the takeaway, I like to think about takeaways. Mm -hmm. And as we've talked about this, I think I've realized, you know, after COVID, how many years, I mean, COVID's still going on, but we have you know, two or three years of COVID, I think that being afraid, and well, and then we have all the school shootings, things like that, or mm-hmm. the, you know, mass shootings, and the way things like that are often portrayed in media, I believe the intent is to make people afraid. Mm-hmm. And so we have to fight that, you know, because really most of our lives, we go throughout our lives and we have no reason to be afraid. Yeah. And so I think one of the things that we have to combat is that fear of others and Mm -hmm. fear of being different. But if you think about it for, I think it might be one of the things that we have to work with our kids on because, you know, when they close the schools or, you know, said you have to wear masks and things like that. I think that the part of our population that suffer the most is certainly going to be our children, our school Mm -hmm. aged children. I think even the American, the APA, which is the American Pediatrics Academy has come out and recognize that that was a big mistake Mm. um, to do that uh, just because of ramifications, because I think what it does is it increases fear. Anyway, off topic, back to, you know, people who are differently abled, don't be afraid of them. Yeah. That's the takeaway. Yeah. I mean, interact with them. To be afraid of them. No, there, there really isn't. I mean, just go interact with them, go talk to them, have a conversation, find out something new. I think that's the best medicine. Yes. And an always, always safe bet is just smile. You can't go wrong smiling at someone. Yeah. If if all else fails, just smile, right? I mean, wouldn't life be so much better if everybody just smiled? More, yes. <laughs> yeah. Some, some smiled more. Let's there are reasons not to smile. Let's let's be realistic here. But if all else fails, I mean smiling is a universal language. Yeah. It's, it's, 